Welcome to Lively Fresh Takes, where we talk to pioneers in creative and technology. These are two of the biggest forces shaping today's future, and they've never been more linked. Understanding the push and pull at the core of this strange relationship is critical to pushing creativity forward. Fresh Takes is where industry pioneers share their stories and ideas with us, where a community of forward thinkers comes together, where you can find inspiration and insights into what's coming next in our ever-changing world. We have a special series this month to support International Women's Day. We will be hearing the stories from a number of women in the industry. So who better to join us than Dr. Alex, author, broadcaster and researcher. We've been lucky enough to be working with Alex over the last few years and her knowledge around the digital human is truly insightful. So let's bring her on. Hi, Alex. How are you? Hey, Mike. It's good to see you. <laughs> Very good to see you. Uh, I don't, I, I'm confused now because I've gotten such a habit and I like calling you Dr. Alex. <laughs> Dr. Alex, if you want. I love it. I, I think it's great. I'm, I'm going to carry on calling you Dr. Alex. I think it's, if, I, if I had the opportunity, I would insist on it. <laughs> <laughs> well, actually, you're supposed to call me Dr. Dr. Alex because I'm a doctor. Oh. doctor. Yeah. Oh, God. That's, that's, that's even cool. better. Right. Dr. Okay. Dr. 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 Alex. Welcome. <laughs> Um, so look, you and I have known each other for, for ages, which we'll, we'll cover, um, but um, we've been working together quite closely over the last couple of years, which has been really exciting. And um, yeah, I'm very excited to do this podcast with you because we, we have similar passions that you know far more than I do. Uh, and I learn something new every, every time I speak to you. So hopefully the audience will as well. But to kick things off, it would be great just to hear a little bit about yourself, your personal journey particularly, and kind of, you know, why are we just about to talk about, you know, how the relationship between humans and technology? I am a social psychologist. What that means is that I don't see patients, though I have done that in other aspects of psychology years and years ago before, um, before I studied this. Um, what that means is that I'm interested in how people interact and how that makes how that encourages or discourages behavior, attitudes, beliefs, and how groups form. Now, I started doing this, I started gaining an interest in this way back in the early days of the internet. And for me, it was just very natural to kind of say, oh, well, what does this mean? How do people interact online? What's going on um, in this space? And to what degree are people's experiences of true psychological issues Right. How are they similar or different to online? Um, what I didn't realize is that other people were like the inter what? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> which, which is hilarious. It, genuinely, it, like it cracks me up where I'm like, oh, you weren't into that at that time, too. Like I think about the Internet then and I think about it now and I'm like, wow, that really was quite a strange and magical period to be involved in it. Um, I was kind of in what I like to think of as the third maybe the second wave of researchers that were kind of gravitating towards online communities. And since then, most of my work has, whether it's academic or whether it's in the media, um, has been focusing on acting a little bit like a hitchhiker's guide to the yeah. internet and, <laughs> and sort of like calming people's nerves a lot of the time, saying, it's okay, it's just people talking via computers, right? It's okay, all these terrible things that you see going on, it's people. So it, deal with the people, don't, you know, don't think of it as anything to do with the technology. So I've been, I've been talking about that for a very long time, whether it has to do with, um, 
you know, looking at, at like the bigger questions around crypto and what it means to people and why people feel compelled to go into crypto or blockchain or any of those technologies, what that kind of what that drive is. Um, recently, I looked at, um, if you can believe this, the fertility journeys of people. There was a series that I did about online sperm donation and what that said about people's drive and how society issues are are operating at one speed but the internet operates at another <laughs> and so this is where we're seeing a lot of conflict and this was a particularly um this was a particularly good example <laughs> of where that could clash and go yeah. go wrong but also right um and now right now i'm working on um a series looking at the relationship between longevity uh science and silicon valley but all throughout that, this is such a long intro, but all throughout that, no, it's good. It's good. I have also, <clears throat> I've also spent the last 10 years um, working on a BBC series, a radio series called The Digital Human, um, which is looking at who we are as human beings, as social human beings in a world where technology is mundane. It is every day. So yeah, it's all been all that. And that is exactly why I've got you on this show. And and I feel uh, total imposter syndrome because uh, you should probably be hosting this show and not me. <laughs> hey, hey, listen, this is great. I still rarely get interviewed. I'm like really looking forward to it. <laughs> Excellent. Well, look, the, the weird thing about that journey is um, we actually met in the metaverse or at least because of it, didn't we? Um, right. And that is incredible because that was back in 2007. That's and right. So, you know, the yeah, God, talk about a ridiculously stupidly large question to start with. What has changed? <laughs> or Not more a lot. importantly, uh, well, okay, great. Not well, a lot. Tell um, us why. I'll tell you what's changed. So we met um when we were working on a project in the virtual world Second Life. And Second Life is actually where my PhD research um, was situated. I wasn't studying Second Life, I was studying human interactions in Second Life. And what was interesting about that particular virtual environment, it was 3D, it was um, very user generated. Um, there was an enormous number of different kinds of communities, whether they were fetish communities, which was a big part of it, or whether they were education communities, or whether they were creative communities, still there's a lot of fashion inside second life inside these these places um this was a this was a, a virtual world that was already not the original metaverse right? right the original metaverses had happened 10 years before but in text right they happened in virtual worlds like lambda mu and all of those other wonderful places that people were writing about in 1995 Right. Wow. People were already playing around with this idea of extending ourselves into an environment where we were not constrained by the offline existence, like offline stuff. They could be games. They could just simply be sandboxes where people wandered around and like built rooms that they wanted to share, little sanctuaries that they wanted to share with people. And I like to think of something like a Lambda Moo or a Second Life as um, the 3D visualization of the internet, sort of stepping yeah. in and wandering around. So the idea there has not changed, right? It is 30 years since Neil Stevenson wrote Snow Crash, which I know for a fact because I've spoken with him and I've spoken with the people behind Second Life was the direct inspiration for Second Life. 30 wow. years ago, he so invented that. 
Yeah, he yeah. invented that that concept of the the quote unquote metaverse. Um, the ideas are still the same, and the passion and the excitement that people feel rushing into the new possibility, the new frontier, is still the same. Really, the only difference is the technology. Sorry to say. So, so <laughs> can I just jump? Thing. I just want to jump in there because I, I I've got a very quick, deeper question on this though because. You go onto LinkedIn, and you and I have talked about this, haven't we? In the fact that this massive debate about, oh, the metaverse doesn't exist yet. It hasn't got there. Uh, I saw two days ago somebody going, can we stop talking about the metaverse? Because quite frankly, it's just video games. Like, what is your point of view on that then? Um, I don't think it's just video games. I think no. that the metaverse is within us. Um, I think that the metaverse is inherently disappointing. <laughs> I think that the metaverse is more hype than anything else. And I think it's always going to be. You know, I way back, it was, it was, I'm gonna sound like such an old lady here, but it was so pure when it was just text and you already had integrated exchange and you had imagination that uh, was not constrained by our psychological issues with things not being you know, picture perfect, <laughs> right? The uncanny yeah. valley. It was seamless even back then. Um, and I think that the dream that is sold is always going to be disappointing because everybody's dreams of having a new frontier that they can populate and it's going to be just for them and it's going to be like them and it's going to be a place where they can always, you know, without constraints, express themselves. Um, whether that's through commercial enterprises, a place to make a buck or whatever, is always going to be disappointing because mm. if, like, we have the physical world as a kind of template. <laughs> it, it's not the best, right? But jumping no. into a virtual environment that isn't quite right with the same damn people. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's just it's So look we we I, I knew this would happen. We we we're going to go off piste. We're going to go off piste for a second cuz cuz yeah, this is this mean this is kind of a, a real big subject for me because I quoted um I did a panel at Can Lion last year and I used my son as an example about technology because yeah, yeah. I, I'm a big critic of, of 3D worlds. I really am. I've had to avoid getting kind of trolled or into some dangerous conversations on LinkedIn because, you know, I, I run an event company. I believe in in real life. What I also believe, though, is now those are such great content generators that, you know, we're having an experience now. You know, we don't have to, you know, it's, and actually it's a bit like, sorry, I'm going to have a rant for a bit. It's a bit like office culture. Office culture isn't about the four walls of your building. It's about how you interact with each other, who you are, and the people that are part of it. So you and I are having an experience now. So for me, the but then my son is in Fortnite. And we do family movies. And he doesn't like them. And at the age of six, no, sorry, hold on a minute. I'm not going to throw myself under the bus too much. He didn't get into Fortnite until he was 10. So I'm, I'm all right, although it should be 14. Um, but he said, why do you want me to sit? Why do you want me to turn Fortnite off, daddy, and sit in front of a TV and do absolutely nothing? 
when I'm interacting with my friends, I'm going on these great adventures and all my friends are at least 30 minutes away so I can't play out in the street with them. So surely that's having a great experience in the metaverse or is it just- Of course, yeah? but the thing is, it's not a zero sum game, right? Fortnite right. is a great game. Fortnite yeah. is the equivalent of the Nintendo 64 putting on a multi-pack so that everybody could play you know, GoldenEye 007 and whatever it was, 19, you know, it must have been 2001, right? right? Yeah, yeah. It's like, it's, that's, the, that's the equivalent, 100%. But you don't, but there's a difference here. There's a difference between, and all of these things are valid. There's a difference between wanting to have a story told for you and wanting to tell that story. Of right. course, right? Sometimes I wanna tell the story. Sometimes I want to have the story told for me. Maybe you guys just aren't watching the same kind of movie. <laughs> mm. <laughs> it might mm. just be that he's not interested in that. I bet he can still sit down for a story, right? Or he yeah. can get yeah, lost yeah. in a book or whatever. It's just simply yeah. a different experience. And I think perhaps that is the issue right there. You've tapped into it. Is the idea of what the metaverse should be is very limited to all or nothing. Yeah. All or nothing. Like it can be something, it can be different things to different people and then that becomes the meta part of the metaverse but yeah. the the hope and the expectations that are poured into it they're always they are going to be disappointing because you know your son is is wanting to go into a into fortnite and wants to have that experience that experience is never going to be able to be replicated in a metaverse because it requires no. a huge amount of processing power and yeah, yeah, and yeah. software and all kinds of things that happen in that world now mm. of course you know and, and we have no hope of interoperability right now there's absolutely no hope in hell of interoperability right now and so these little polyps these little kind of like i don't know these little verses are of course going to be separate because he's not going to jump into some substandard online game environment that doesn't scratch the thing that Fortnite does. And I bet if his mates jumped into, you know, if his mates were sitting around watching a movie, he'd do it. Yeah, yeah, right? no, you're right. So yeah, the, the, the really big, I think the big and important thing that, that drives you, right, when you're doing these types of things, and we worked on a this thing for three years, um, in which, you know, we've asked people to come into a room and have people talk at one another or talk around a topic. The thing there that's really valuable is co-presence. And co-presence doesn't have to be in a 3D <laughs> physical world. It can be back channel. We talk, We did this way back in 2000, right? We had back channels that were going behind a presentation. That was a disastrous idea because everybody's gonna be looking at the back channel rather than you know, looking yes. at the speaker. But also people were, around that time, people were also experimenting with the idea of, if I go onto a website, if you've signed up for you know, whatever, whatever service, you're gonna have a little icon that shows that you're on that website, right? So then if other people have all, are also signed up to the service and they're also on the website, then you just see that little icon, right? You don't need to interact. It's like, I don't wanna interact with everybody in a stadium. I don't even want to interact with somebody who's helping me like if I'm in a shop, <laughs> but, but it's nice to know that they're there. And yes. the way to capture that presence in an online environment, that to me is more interesting than trying to figure out how to do a fully immersive three-dimensional world of, you know, whiz bang and you know, whatever. I just yeah. think that simple, simple solutions 
that are accessible to everyone, yeah, everyone, that create that sense of presence, yeah, to trying to get everybody to buy in, change their behavior, mess with their routines, and get them to do something that's over here that they don't understand when they when they step. No, fair enough, fair enough. Which which interesting because that leads me very well into my next question because um, we did uh, an event together in LA and um, which you can see on this platform um, in our back catalog. And uh, you did a fantastic intro because we were talking about a wonderful world of Web3. And you basically introduced it by going, you know, like you did earlier, you know, I was around and involved in, you know, Web1. I had my heart broken, um, but then it was built up. Then it was broken again, and then it was built up. And, you yeah. know, that, we, we did that event in, I think, February last year. So it was so kind it was of a before. Peak. It was before yeah. Terra Luna. It was, yes. and certainly before FTX. FTX. So, yeah. has your heart been broken again? No, um, because I didn't. I didn't let it go there. <laughs> you know, I didn't let it go there, Mike. <laughs> you know, I didn't let it go there. So um, these, no, like, no. And, and I'm going to throw in a bit of a mix here because uh, I've just been talking to. Um, uh, fantastic CMO, uh, Visha, and uh, she's um, been talking about uh, the rela- the difference between fads and trends. And I've had this conversation with you. I am hands up guilty, a magpie. Uh, you've seen me. I get very excited about everything. I oh, believe yeah. it is the future. And, uh, and I'm still desperately holding on to that last marriage that happened in February because, you know, and, and so, you know, how in technology do we determine whether something is going to stay a trend or if it's a fad? You know, because the, the trouble, and you said it earlier, is the, the, the challenge with anything new is, is people grab it and do with it what they want. You, you told me that. And so, of course, the crooks are going to jump on NFTs and crypto. Yeah. But does that mean that the technology is bad and doesn't have a role? Not necessarily, no. I think what you need to do ultimately when you are assessing any kind of new technology is really ask yourself, what is the fundamental question? What is the ultimate fundamental service that this thing is doing? Hmm. And with, you know, with crypto and blockchain, blockchain in particular, it has a function, it has a purpose. Hmm. It is, you know, it is in many ways replicating what the original idea of the web was, this idea of a kind of unbreakable, workaroundable system. Um, that is ultimately what the internet was built to do. It was meant to be something that, you know, that could be unbreakable and everything could root around. Um, this is, blockchain is the kind of next iteration, if you can believe that. Um, and I think that it, it answers certain fundamental questions that some people wish to ensure that they know who's doing what. They want to make sure everybody's across things. They like to see that this is done in different ways. It's a decentralized system. Mm. Right, fine. Job done. Great. That is the fundamental thing. When you get people saying things, though, like it's going to create equality, you know, across the the demographic, it's going to create, a, you know, it's going to create, you know, new ways of doing nation states. It's going to do all this kind of stuff. That's when you start getting into the fantasy stuff and the fad stuff. I think. And so you need to come, you need to strip it back and you need to say, great, I hear your story. I hear your dream. This is amazing. We can work towards that in slow increments because unless the existing powers that be are lining up and saying, brilliant, absolutely, this is something that, you know, 
we'll be hands off, but we completely support the, you, we support this, go for it. It's a lot of hype. It's a lot mm -hmm. of fluff. And so strip it back, think about what the iterative moves, what the iterative stages are towards achieving that goal, rather than thinking this one thing is gonna answer all of life's questions. It's gonna give me that ultimate you know, reason to whatever. Just strip it back, take a breath, look around, say, what is it that this thing can actually do? Mm. How can it serve me and what I need it to do rather than it's going to change everything. I feel like I've just had a therapy session where yeah, I need to well, breathe. Take a step back. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, and that's, that's, that's good to hear. And, and, Again, kind of taking all that together and, and, and also what we talked about previously, there's, you talked about this difference between participation and colonization and the whole relationship that we have with technology. And, and I think that, yeah, that, that was quite you know, enlightening for me that we do get excited about all of this because we have this, I think you said a desire for the zombie apocalypse and also this need to colonize, didn't you? <laughs> Yeah, and I, that really became very clear to me in um, Second Life, right? When, when I, cause the reason I say this is because I was lucky enough to have started studying it when there were only 3,000 people in it. By the time yeah. I stopped studying it, there were over 15 million accounts that had been created. In that short period of time, it was, it was a little difficult to do a social network analysis of that entire population. Yeah. A little bit yeah. easier to do when perhaps there were only three to 5,000 people. Anyway, I'm not going to eschew their success. I think it's wonderful that they had the opportunity. But what, the, the, what I saw is that, again, it started with like an, an idea of people just fiddling around in the corners and just playing around with what was possible. I'm going to build a simulation of schizophrenia over here, or I'm going to, I'm going to build a library with hyperlinks to, you know, whatever over here. And I'm going to become, you know, like a, an in-world fashion designer using the tools over here. And then somebody got interested. They did an amazing job. I have to say of like sharing the information. They had an in-world journalist and he, he you know, lots of attention was paid in that regard because he was highlighting the cool stuff that was happening in there. And then the dream kicked in and everybody ran towards it. And like, you know, Coke's in there and Nike's in there and they're doing this and everybody. And then that's building more and more and more and more and more and more of this giant dream. And a lot of times what I saw was that these were almost like parachuted ideas that came in because it was the new platform hotness. Everybody rushed there, discovered really there wasn't much there. And certainly there wasn't much that tried to integrate with the platform, that tried to integrate with, you know, the community to try and create a lasting experience for people to keep coming back to the platform. And then everybody got there, was like, I, I have no idea how this technology works. It's too much for my computer. This is shit. I'm out of here. And the whole thing collapses. Right. Mm -hmm. Those are those are not sustainable projects. So mm -hmm. participation, ensuring that you know what's going on in an online <clears throat> an online community it doesn't have to be a virtual world, but ensuring that you know what's going on in an online community and then contributing in a meaningful way before parachuting your stuff in and saying, look, we spent a lot of money on this. Go, 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 go. And then being like, all right, well, we've lost interest because shiny thing over here or shiny <laughs> thing over here is where we're taking our stuff now. 
what happens to that that community? What happens to that that landmass? Just get stuck dry. Yeah, and do you, sorry, to, I didn't mean sorry to interrupt, but because you just again, um, you've hit a, a positive nerve there because this is exactly one of the challenges I've had in you know I I'm a marketeer, but then I chose events as my speciality. And and I started doing a lot of sponsorship. You know, I ran the, ran the headline sponsorship for Virgin, for V Festival, uh, took them into gaming, into film, um, and did this for a number of brands. And the biggest thing we learned there was exactly the same. You don't turn up at a music festival and just think, I'm a brand, so I'm going to force you to do what I want you to do. Um, and I've got a confession, you know, the very, very first thing, I'm, I'm doing a lot of confessing in this, aren't I? But the very first thing we did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thank you. Thank you. This is good. Um, uh, we'll no just confidentiality, keep this one, but I'm afraid. Yeah, yeah. We'll, I was going to say, we'll just keep this one private. I won't put it out. Um, but uh, I was tasked with branding a music venue and we, we, we creatively and design did it very well. Band came on. First thing they did, they ripped the banner off and they swore at our brand. Yeah. So we rushed back and said, oh my God, why? And he said, because you're just branding the venue. You're not doing anything for me as an artist. So we pivoted and, and, and actually there was a big successful came, campaign that came out of it. And that's exactly the same principle, isn't it? Is, is you're creating an experience, whether it is physical or digital. And also... Don't go in and sponsor something to put your name to it. Create a partnership and you've just summed it up beautifully. Build something for a community. And then the worst thing you can do is then engage with that community and get them excited and then let them go, isn't it? And then leave. Yeah. <laughs> and then yeah. I've seen this so many times. I remember advising government in exactly this way. Um, it was a really cool gig. I was able to take um, you know, young startups to various countries and introduce them and say okay Tokyo here's like 14 gaming startups or okay San Francisco here's you know 14 whatever just startups or here's New York it was it was a really cool and exciting thing they had their KPIs right they had their things that they needed to hit they had you know we need to be seen in this and all of this was super innovative it was really exciting and I kept saying to them don't put your banner up maybe Maybe put like a small thing at the end, but what you want to do is you want to build the reputations with the relationships between you and them, right? So that they trust you. Otherwise they're like, oh, you're just doing this for, a, for you know, to put your name on it, right? In the same way that you're talking about here. Yeah. yeah. You will have a better reputation if people find out later that you were the one who sponsored this, that it's not blasting across the screen. I always thought that like BMW and Red Bull did this beautifully. Right. I, there was like they they were really thoughtful in the early 2000s about how they sponsored and how they placed themselves. Right. There was that series of short films that BMW did that was they were not front and center, had nothing to do with BMW. They're literally not nothing to do with BMW in the short films. But BMW is like, oh, yeah, cool. We did. We, we gave them this much. like we we can true and a platform. And here's, you know, there that, you know, and Red Bull was like, we're going to become. We're going to become a sports, like a sports brand that happens to do energy drinks. <laughs> you know yeah. what I mean? Like those are the kind of the bars that we're going for. And that took a lot of bravery 
Yes. A lot of bravery because if you're putting money into it, you want to see some return. It's not short term. You have to think longer term. And when you're looking online in particular, these are communities. These are not like individually targeted people. These are communities of fans who've decided to coalesce around an idea, uh, you know, an entity, an event, whatever it is they've decided to come together and they've also got the opportunity to like chat and build that. And if you just parachute in, who, who the hell are you? Why should we pay attention to you? Yeah. I'm not interested in you. Yeah. And do it subtly and participate. It's, it, it's something that's been ringing through every, every podcast to date right now is, is this bravery thing. And, and it, it ties so much into kind of, again, I, I don't want to sound like the old man, but, but it, it's the, it's the biggest thing for the relationship between agencies and brands is it's like, you know, is this part of a long-term plan or are you just trying to go for immediate media value and, and then walk away from it? And, um, and that, you know, that's the biggest challenge, isn't it? Is trying to make sure that, uh, and even more importantly with technology, because I think with all of this tech that we're dealing with now, there is this fear factor attached to it. And, and you, you know, all the recommendations we are giving is if you're going to get involved in these different communities that have been created thanks to technology, you've got to, you've got to build that pressure and you've got to always take, you have to take a test and learn. Don't think you're just going to do it once and get it right. Yeah? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, but you also have to think about whether this is the right place for you to be. Yeah. And again, when I was when I was working with government or even otherwise, I would have people talking to me and and saying, well, why? Why should I be involved in this? Why? Why should I be involved in this? I'd be yeah. like, all right, fine. You haven't found the value. Don't just don't. That's cool. No. I'm OK. I'm OK with you not being involved in this. Don't yeah. but figure it out for yourself, because if you come in and are like, ah, this is crap, I'm just being told to do this. You know, what's going to happen is, is you're not going to participate in the best way. Find the platform that you, that allows you to sing and then, you know, do your best on that. Don't slap another thing on just because you're supposed to be there. I mean, I know this is easy for me to say. I totally recognize it. If you've got clients that are saying, but I need to be in this space, then you need to find out, going back to that question of what is it that the platform answers? What is the fundamental need the platform answers? Then... And if that platform answers the need and it maps with what the client wants, brilliant. Yeah. You know, but as long as you come back to that fundamental need and that fundamental service. But that... yeah, you've got to be able to understand and answer the why, haven't you? Because it's like, why, you know, going back to this fad and a trend, is it because you want to be involved in it just because, you know, everybody else is doing it and you want to get yeah. that, that kind of, we're doing something as it, it frustrates me a bit because you know we pride ourselves in doing innovating things and but we don't do innovation just to kind of do something and drop it. it it's it's the it's really exciting to kind of get something to kind of bubble up from the below and build and build and build and then you grow something far stronger don't you it's um i so i had a really funny conversation that's relevant to this last night um, it was an interview that I did for uh, the Radio 4, the BBC Radio 4 series, Digital Human. And we've been 
talking about this notion of like digital gardens that you simply tend and they're not really for anybody except for yourself and you can open them up and you can share them if you wish and I went around to this woman's house who has one of these digital gardens it's called the firefly sanctuary and mm -hmm. it's um really lovely and it's a representation or a kind of it's not an immersive there are no webcams except for one that's pointing only at a light but it's a representation of the sanctuary that she feels in her house, right? And so she brought that online. And it reminded me, she says she's really interested in 1990s websites. I was like, oh my God, I'm geriatric. She's really interested in 1990s websites <laughs> and like creating that space. And she herself is a web designer and a webmaster, right? She works for, she's worked for all kinds of, she worked for Kickstarter, she worked for all kinds of different companies in her career, her 12 year career, like building websites and architecting, strategically architecting online presences. And she built this and she's like, what's really interesting about this is that everything online now, everything online is built A for an audience and B to sell something, even if it's a personal website, it's just built to sell your brand, it's to sell yourself, it's just built to be sold. She says, I just wanted something that was like a little space for me with the technology, the technological tools, really web one. And it just like having that conversation, I went, oh my God, that's right. You can't find those little weird homes anymore that are, that are inward facing rather mm. than outward facing. And it's a yeah. different way of being. Yeah. And I'm kind of hopeful that these types of projects, having made some of them in my past, which I'd completely forgotten about until I spoke with her, that these types of projects will come back. So it creates a web that is multifaceted, that allows for innovation in that particular way amongst you know all of the chattering and all of the people and the brands and the everybody that shout that are shouting for attention, just yeah. to say, here, here are the cool tools that are available and here is how I'm going to represent those things. And weirdly, that circles all the way back to the original idea of the, of the metaverse, right? Yeah. And all the way back to Lambda Moo and your text-based adventures was people created these spaces, they described them, right? And then they would invite people in and people would be able to like, look, you know, look at the mantelpiece. And then there'd be like a text description of on the mantelpiece or, you know, like, a, a silly little bobblehead toy and a vase of dried flowers or whatever it was, but you were able to kind of interact in a way that didn't make you feel like you were being sold to. And maybe that's, that's the innovation that we do not yet have mm. <laughs> with the metaverse. We had it to a degree in second life, like I said, but then, but then it kind of became more of a commercial space where people were trying to get other people eyeballs, you know, avatars whatever it was to those spaces and noisy you love something Just yeah it became noisy, noisy. yeah became noisy. exactly uh, so that's so this is yeah so gosh you know almost you know could things start looking back to how they used to be because you know is this is the web3 technology sound you know to, like you've, you've referenced you know tim burgess lee wanted you know the World Wide web to be for everybody you know yeah. you've then got you know i'm i'm, I'm Yes, Scott Galloway uh, and his book, The Four, where he looks at just how, you know, four powerful companies kind of turned that kind of notion on its head and suddenly everybody had no idea how their data was being used. And I suppose that's my, that's my personal little excitement about Web3 
is it's like, you know, I actually, I could potentially turn my data into real value. I could get something back from it. I suppose that's my little kind of rose tinted dream about it. Um, and that was yeah. the original dream. What yeah. happened is that people, people don't have time to learn how to code. People don't have time to use MS-DOS. People don't have time to learn right. HTML and Java. Like they don't have time. And so naturally intermediaries are gonna come along and they're just gonna simply provide the service. I'm talking to you on a, on a Mac, right? In the old days, it was an Apple. The great innovation that the Apple that happened with the Apple is that I didn't have to code DOS in order to get into my system, right? It gave me a graphical interface. I didn't, I, I remember talking about this on, I think like Newsnight or something after Steve Jobs died. What he did was he literally made it accept, accessible to people because he just hid the back end. It's like, you want, you want, a, you want a thing? Click on this icon and it will happen for you. I no longer needed to know how to do C, run, whatever, right? So, and then I needed to know how to search the web. I needed to know how to do that. I needed to buy stuff online because that's what we were doing. You know, I needed to do, I needed to connect with my friends in a way that was easy and consistent. So naturally we gravitated to those things and those those technologies became more and more powerful. They never set out to rule the world. Right? It was kind of thrust upon them and they rose to the challenge, frankly, and that's great. Now, the exchange is of course the data and I don't think that they even realized that people, how much, how important that was to people. But right now with blockchain, we're at that beginning phase mm -hmm. and there are still intermediaries and those intermediaries are gonna end up ruling the blockchain because mm -hmm my mom isn't going to go into the blockchain and figure out how to buy an nft she's not gonna she's not she's got stuff that she wants to produce she's gonna do it on you know on squarespace she's not gonna go into the blockchain and do like no so you're gonna get the same kind of trends where you have the intermediaries who are coming in to make it accessible for the reasons that you're talking about that reason is that you want to own it you want to have control over it but mm -hmm. It's difficult to do that. It's not easy to do that. Like the number of times I've heard people explain to me what crypto and the blockchain is, like decade people have been trying to explain it to me. And it's only when I made a series about it <laughs> that I maybe got it. Yeah, <laughs> complicated yeah. stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it really is, is. Isn't it? And yet people, people who do get it, people who do grok it, they do because it's being sold as something that allows you to own your data, to democratize, et cetera. People, mm. intermediaries are gonna come in in the same way and mm. they're going to buy up that space and then they're gonna, they're gonna take a cut. And whether that's financial or whether that's data or whatever it is, that's what's gonna happen. I'm sorry to be so miserable about that, but it's no, just- I, No, no, no. I, yeah, I don't think you are though. I think, I think this, is, this is perfect actually, because this is, um this explains it is it's almost like and it, it's kind of funny we seem to have got really hung up talking about the technology almost too much rather than actually focusing on well okay then so whether it's uh non-fungible tokens or web3 or polka dot or whatever it, it's actually it, it's down to the people that want to embrace that to make it really simple and answer a, answer a solution for a human being. 
And so, for instance, you know, because I think this is the thing is it's like um, uh, there was a, a brilliant case study um, I should have probably grabbed as a reference. Uh, I can't remember. It'll come back to me. But they they created a digital trainer. and But it was one of the first digital trainers that was transferable across different um, platforms. And But what that sold was... We all know that whether it's your physical identity or digital identity, you still want to be yourself and you want to create that. So what better than to, you know, for a brand to be able to say, well, we're a trainer brand. So look, here are a pair of digital trainers that you can wear through all your games. That just, that solves it, doesn't it? It's like, yeah. they don't have to know whether it's an NFT. They don't have to know what how it's made. I can click, buy it, use it across all the different things exactly. and develop my digital identity. Solved. And Problem if they solved. then... Exactly. And if they then become the next Amazon in 10 years time, are we going to be turning around and lambasting them for having created a simple solution that ultimately that ultimately solved the translation problem between the between the idea of a NFT and the trainers that they sell? Are we going to no. get pissed off at them then? Probably, oh, though. 100%. Oh, no, no, no. Of course we will. How dare you do this? Of course we do. You charged me how much? And it was, oh, yeah. you know, that simple to do. Um, or not that simple to do. But, uh, yeah, no, I, I think that's... I, and look, I think this is, this is exactly why I wanted to get you on the show. Because, you know... We we have both said it, you know, oh, we're old. Oh, we're talking like grandmother or granddad. But but it's important to share this information because, you know, it's the emperor's new clothes. Yeah, we, you know, the, don't get overexcited that this is the new thing and only you know how it works because the course that we've gone on uh, understand, well, I think the title Digital Human sums it up because... Yeah, we actually almost called our agency human because at the end of the day, if we forget that we're just trying to connect to human beings, we'll lose our way. Um, and and I think it's that simplicity that that people, particularly like yourself, need to run home over and over again. Is it's like I've been married three times now. It's the same story. Um, <laughs> exactly. And... <laughs> So, uh, so let's create a, a digital, uh, what is it? A digital technology marriage guidance uh, exactly. platform. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. Well, I don't know, the, long, the longevity future, that's going to happen more and more. So you're in on the ground floor, Mike. You're in on the ground there floor. There you go. There you go. Another spin-off for you and I. Exactly. Um, look, we're coming to an end. I, uh, I knew I would get caught up in a couple of rabbit holes because I love talking to you. But... Um, so I, I'm going to jump uh, jump forward a little bit and like based on this then and taking advantage of you being here and your wonderful knowledge, what advice uh, do you give to people and businesses looking to use technology and kind of their creativity and and their marketing? What's what is your what is your marriage guidance advice in 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 a in a speed dating situation? <laughs> um, well, first and foremost, come back to the well. What does it do? What's it for? Strip it away, yeah. strip it away, and then play around in that and, and do a little bit of soul searching before diving in and thinking, oh my God, I'm on the back foot. I've got to do this thing. Find out why, play around with it yourself. And I know we are all constrained for time. I God, I know that more than anybody else. But spend an afternoon poking around on a particular platform to see, okay, what does it do? 
How far can I push it? What does this actually mean to me? Can I come up with cool ideas that that actually are new and use what us academics like to describe as the affordances of the technology? I used to say a lot, um, you know, I've done television, I've done I've done film, I've done television, and I've done radio. I've also done print. Um, That's why you're a doctor doctor. <laughs> I know, I, like that cracks me up. This this definitely means that I'm old. If I'm old enough to say that I've done all of these things in my lifetime, I mean, geez, what a lucky lady. Um, but I wouldn't just take like a film script and slap it onto TV. And I wouldn't take a TV script and slap it onto the radio exactly as is. Right? And I certainly wouldn't take a radio script and slap that into print. Each of these have different ways of telling stories. And each of the technologies have different ways of telling stories too. I think also you need, my big thing is you really, really, really need to think of the unanticipated, unintended consequences of what the technologies could do. Because if you think about that, then that means that you're gonna go into it, dare I say, in a more ethical way. Um, you're gonna think about the responsibility that you have to your clients and to the people who are using whatever magical widget you've just built, <laughs> whatever magical experience. You're gonna think about it, you're gonna think about it on behalf of the people who are using it rather than you know, it's just being made for them. Um, mm. And so think about like what could happen and not in a kind of dangerous firefighting, oh my goodness, you know, the election's been, the election's been rigged kind of way. But like, wow, what was this originally built for? And how is this now being used in a way that may not actually be what it was originally built for? And isn't that cool? <laughs> but also isn't that slightly dangerous and let's think a little bit more about that which and I, i've overused the word segue for sure but we can't finish this uh, interview without talking about ai can we is I, there are bubbles bursting and i'm hopefully i will probably get you on another show to deep dive into this but mm. you know we were in the metaverse 14 years ago we've spent the last year talking about <clears throat> 5G, 6G, uh, NFTs, Metaverse. Yeah, we talked a lot about the Metaverse, which I'm pleased about because I don't think it's going away and we need to understand it. But now we've got AI. Now yeah. we've got AI. It's it's the buzzword. Uh, you know, we've, sure got a little, we've put a little gadget <laughs> on our new website, um, but we've used it as an index system, which I think is hopefully the right way to use it. But um, when do these things start to settle? When do they... When do, how do we know that they're the difference between a fad or a, or a trend when it comes to technology? Right now, AI is definitely a trend. People are rushing into it in Silicon Valley and they're not actually thinking through what's going <laughs> on and how people are gonna respond. I am, I'm really delighted <laughs> with the backlash, <laughs> I have to say, against ChatGPT because I remember writing an article with it a couple of years ago and thinking, whoa, this is fun, isn't this interesting? And kind of at that time telling, going into like some clients agencies, I think that they were like legal. Uh, it was a, it was a, it was a lawyers um, as in the UK. And, you know, saying not far away, we're gonna have some technologies that are gonna take over your jobs. And they're like, that's impossible. And now you've got AIs that are simply building out contracts because, you know, ultimately strip back what you do. And this, this can serve that. However, having recently made two episodes uh, for Digital Human about AI and its impact, what is 
pleasing about people's responses to this and their fear about it is that it's finally, finally getting people to talk about algorithmic black boxes. Um, some big words, but I'm gonna go way back to when I used to do computer games programs on channel four. This is 3000 years ago. And I remember interviewing a very well-known British designer named Peter Molyneux. And he had recently released this very um, groundbreaking game called Black and White. And inside this game, you had a creature that you could train. There were a lot of creature games around that time. This is what, maybe 2000, right? There are creatures that you could train and, and it, it, would, it would physically transform based upon how you treated it. So if you were evil, it would turn dark and terrifying or, or long teeth, you know? But if you were good, it would be like, ah, rainbows and unicorns and all that kind of like, you know, light, all that sort of stuff. And, um, and but it, it had a kind of element of machine learning to it. And I remember speaking with Molyneux and, and he was like, it did something today that we didn't know it would do, right? We didn't even expect that it would respond in this way. And he was full of like this, oh my goodness, like we've created, like it's like we've birthed this thing. And I remember thinking, God, that is really, really exciting. That was my first introduction to this idea of a black box of machine learning. Ever since then, I've been fascinated by them. The idea of what actually are the proprietary algorithms that happen behind the scenes in so many of our online world and just general technologies anyway. And I've been like, woo, algorithms, they rule the world. Think about the people who are programming them, think about what they're doing, what, what, what sort of what things about themselves they're implanting the basis you know of learning just remember nobody's paying attention <laughs> i feel like i've been shouting into space and so now people are talking about it it's really exciting because that means that hopefully that's going to feed back to silicon valley and they're going to say oh we should probably consider that sort of stuff will they though will they though cuz to your point it's this uh it's this There's desire, yeah, it's this desire to kind of get out there and do something that's the scary bit, isn't it? How many people do stop and think? They do have in-house ethicists at a lot of the yeah. larger companies. Yeah. Um, it's the second time I've used that word today. I hope I haven't scared your listeners off. Um, they do have in-house ethicists. There's more that's being talked about that in the kind of in the public space as well. Um, I mean, for years and years, there there are certain companies that have that have sort of had people come in and sort of ask the difficult questions. But the thing is, is that you're always going to get this conflict, whatever technology that you have, because you have an engineer, a programmer who needs to reduce a human need into ones and zeros. And so at every step of the way, they're making decisions, whether it's, you know, like, what is good and what is bad. Like, okay, now we're talking about big stuff here. Or yeah. like, how how is friendship, you know, conceptualized? Or is everything that I do public or is everything that I do private by default? It's just, you know, all these little decisions that do feed into the black boxes. And so what would be lovely, I think, moving forward, and I don't know if this would happen, is if that kind of process is open. If those, if that decision-making is, is Sort of publicly available in the same way that frankly you have hopefully with academia you know where it's like i'm showing you my work 
Um, because I think even then, there's, because there's so many big teams that work on these incredible projects, like, you know, of the people who are working at OpenAI and, and Hugging Face and all the other amazing machine learning and, and you know, private companies. And Cambridge has an amazing AI department, like just incredible, incredible, incredibly smart people. It would probably also help them <laughs> to know mm. what's also being programmed in. And it's fascinating Openness. as well. Yeah, yeah transparency, yeah. funnily enough. Because I think yeah. that even, even this scares them. You know, the folks at OpenAI, they said they when they had GPT-2 ready to go, they didn't want to release it because they found it too frightening. Yeah. You know, and now we're, we're moving towards GPT-4. So I think that, you know, there's, there's, People, people are not dumb who are playing with this, um, but it's, it is a softly, softly approach just so that we know what's happening, yeah. so that yeah. they know what's happening, so that what's going on inside the black box is more apparent. Um, but we're not going to be I mean, taken over by like an AGI anytime soon, so it's fine. No, yeah, yeah, good. Well, look, what I... Um... What a journey, <laughs> you know, we've uh, we've been on. This has been a really exciting thing uh, to be able to get into so many different areas in such a small amount of time. Each one of them can have its own show, but but obviously uh, anybody listening to this can go to any number of the uh, projects you've done and, and deep dive into it, which is great. Um, I know we don't have crystal balls, uh, but, you know, what's, what's going to come out in 2023? What, what's... You know what? What are your kind of hopes and uh, and dreams that we're going to see in this year? Because it's it's kicked off quite kind of oddly, hasn't it? <laughs> I I mean I would say this because I'm working on a series about it, but I think that you're going to see out of Silicon Valley a lot more um, a lot more longevity stuff. Even today, right. um, Sam Altman, who's the head of um, who's the head of OpenAI, has just has just sort of contributed the largest amount of private funding to a longevity research organization, um, even more than Bezos did. Um, so there's, I think that there's, it's it's an interesting moment mm. <laughs> in that particular mm. space. It's definitely the hotness in Silicon Valley. So if you're watching that space, that's probably where you might want to look. My only concern really is that science moves a lot more slowly than technology. And so how the two marry together means that potentially we will get a lot of um, a lot of things that come out of uh, a very urgent space that may not be fully baked yet. Um, and in a world in which there are alternative funding models and alternative ways to kind of get stuff to market um, that go around perhaps regulation when you're thinking about health, you might want to kind of turn towards the more conservative regulations before you stick stuff in your body that's supposed to make you live forever yeah there you go there you go well <laughs> what a thing to end on um <laughs> dr dr alex it has been fantastic as usual um i've learned a lot so hopefully our uh, viewers and listeners will um thank you thanks for joining i know you're hectic i know you, it was uh, really pleased that you spared the time it's always really good to talk to you it was great to speak with you too, Mike. Thank you so much. Brilliant. See you later. Bye-bye. Bye. So that's another wrap show. Thank you very much for joining us. I hope you found it as insightful as I do. Uh, if you have, then please like and share. It does make a difference. 
Um, if you haven't already registered and you're listening to this via one of our podcast channels, then go onto our platform and register where you will find more white papers, access to live events, and so much more. Thanks very much for joining